What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Murders. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Speaking of Murders, and welcome to the new listeners. Before we get started on today's episode, a little bit of business, we have another show, Speaking of Missing Persons. Make sure you're checking that out. Uh, If you have a suggestion for a case you want to hear on the show, send that to our email, speakingofmurders at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, you can do that through our Patreon. That's linked in the show notes and the episode description. All that stuff said... Shauna is going to be telling our story today, and what are what are we hearing about? Is it a, a mass murder, a multi, multiple murder, serial killer? I mean, technically speaking, it's a multi-murder, but it's only two people, sort of. I mean, it's two people, but you'll just have to hear it. Yeah, because that's confusing. How do you kind of murder two people? Like... I didn't kill them, but I didn't replace the frayed rope that was holding the piano. No, like, it becomes a difficult situation. Here, just let me tell you about it. Okay, I'm all ears. So we're going to be talking about a man named William Michael Dennis. He likes to go by Mike. All right. And we're in San Jose, California. So Mike and Doreen met in 1975. Doreen being his wife? She will be. Okay. Mike works for Lock, uh, Lockhead Factory, and Lockhead Factory was next to a physical therapist office, and that's where Doreen worked. So that's how they met. Doreen was described as generous and cheery as to where Mike was described as depressive and confrontational. So... It was like a classic case of opposites attract. The couple married a few months into dating. Oh, didn't waste any time. No. Doreen then gave birth to their son, Paul, April 17th, 1967. That would be Mike and Doreen's only child together. All right. Then in 1977, Doreen filed for a divorce due to the marriage being doomed. I mean, they were very opposite as far as personality goes. Doreen ended up getting full custody of Paul, but Mike saw him every weekend. In 1978, Doreen remarried a man named Charles Ebert. They had met when Charles stopped to help Doreen when her car broke down. I mean, that's a weird way to meet a man, for real. I mean, not not how I prefer to meet my men. (laughs) Not technically. No, I don't think that's odd. I wouldn't let someone help me. I would have been locked in my car. You think that, but I broke, like, my old car broke down, like, right, it was so fucking stupid. It was, like, right under a uh, overpass, in the turning lane, with no shoulder to push it to. Just stuck. Wouldn't go anywhere. And the only one who stopped to try to help me was a guy with a truck. And he got it started enough for me to 
go like drive to a parking lot what was i gonna do sit in my car and be rude and be like no i want to sit here forever <laughs> yeah don't you dare help me <laughs> can't you see i'm handling this <laughs> i don't know i mean it's not like i was broken down in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere in that situation okay maybe i would have been like mm, leave me here to die but not by your hands <laughs> i don't know i locked my keys in the car often back in the day so i used to have to call people regularly there was a particular police officer that knew who I was. <laughs> I don't think they do that anymore. Not in Missouri, no. Yeah, you actually have to call a locksmith. Yeah. November 26, 1979, Doreen gave birth to Paul's half-sister, Deanna. Even though Doreen had moved on, Mike hadn't. Mike thought of her as, quote, the one. February 1980, Paul, their... Mike and... Yeah, the son. Okay, the son. We, yeah, we He's, got it. He was like four at the time. He was playing in the garden, and Doreen was watching him through the kitchen window. Never a good idea. When she realized she couldn't see him anymore, she ran outside to, f- to try to find him, and when she did, he was floating in the pool. He was quickly rushed to the hospital, and there he was put on life support for a week. After a week, he was taken off and died three days later. Holy shit. Yeah. If you know you have a pool in your backyard, why are you letting your four-year-old roam alone? Okay, so it was said that they had put up a fence and that Paul had squeezed through the fence. But that's going to be talked about later in court, <laughs> the whole fence thing. So... Gotcha. Like, parts of it, parts of it sounds like it was never there and it was just, like, said to be there. Two years after Paul's death, Mike had filed a wrongful death suit against Doreen and Charles, but a a judge ruled in the favor of Doreen and Charles. Paul's death hit Mike harder than anything. That was his only child. And it's with a woman he says... Is the one. Is the one. It had hit him so hard that he had, like, gotten demoted at work from just lack of interest and things so his life was slowly just declining he would also claim paul's death wasn't an accident but in fact murder he thought doreen just wanted paul out of her life he also thought that she had quote gotten away with it i mean if you my thing is is it's never okay to leave your kid unsupervised especially when you have a pool and they're that age but she also had another child that was younger than him. Yeah, but what it said that she was doing in the house, she could have just not been doing, which was cleaning. She could have just taken the baby outside if Paul wanted to be outside. You, you don't have to clean your house over watching your child. Yeah, but I yeah, mean... But a lot of people do both simultaneously, Shauna. Well, beyond that, you have to think of the time period in yeah. which this is happening... It was not odd to just let your kid go what roam. What year is this? 80. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, just go roam around. Yeah. Well, I, I understand that. I'm just saying. I mean, saying. maybe not at age four, but letting them play out in the backyard. I mean, my our parents let Shauna come outside with us in the 
90s and she was like three and four years old and they weren't anywhere around watching her well no but what i'm saying is she she had you two there to watch her at that point and if you have a solo four-year-old letting them go play in the backyard especially in 1980 is i mean at least come at the minimum common practice i'm saying it's it's a common thing back then i mean i understand that but that's also how, like, most of the kidnappings happened in the 80s. Right. They lived so, and learned. What, that's what I was saying. In Pretty today's much. age, don't do that. It was common of the time, but it's still negligence in a sense. He was four. They had a pool in the backyard. I don't care if it was fenced or not. Don't let your four-year-old outside unsupervised. Right. With a pool. If they were like eight to ten, that'd be one thing. But four, I think, is too young for that. After suffering from two miscarriages, Doreen found out she was pregnant with the boy in 1984. I don't think he's going to take that very well. No. For Charles and Doreen, it was a step towards healing for the family. They had basically lost three children over a course of four years. At least for Doreen, that's how she maybe felt. Mike, on the other hand, wasn't healing at all. His feelings were turning into resentment. And what's even more fucked up was he only lived six blocks away from Doreen, making everything pretty much going on in in her life well known to him. Believing Doreen had not suffered enough for the drowning, that was in quotes, Mike began to hate her. And her new family. I think. I mean, I can understand. Where this is about to go. October 31st, 1984, Doreen was home with her four year old daughter. Charles had ran to the liquor store, which was said to be a total of 15 minutes. So he's only gone for 15 minutes. At 9 p.m., an angry knock came to Doreen's front door. When she answered, Deanna. Described it as, she heard a man say, I'm going to kill you. Then her mom demanded the man to leave the home. When he didn't, Doreen told uh, Deanna to run and hide. Upon Charles' return, he found the front door unlocked, which had striked him as weird because when he left, you know, he does what our dad does. Hey, lock the door. Like, that's what he did. He told her to lock the door behind him as he left. So when he opened the door, he had found Doreen bleeding heavily on the floor. He could see his, now I don't know how to describe it, his son is laying on the floor now. The baby is no longer in her belly. He immediately thought that she had just late-term miscarried because of the amount of blood that was everywhere. He didn't see her stomach? Oh no, not yet. Capped open? Nope, not yet. He then noticed her severed hand while trying to stop the bleeding of the severed hand. Well, that's definitely not normal for a miscarriage. Right. Well, that's the thing. When he got down there, like, to examine her, he saw that her hand was gone. And then as he was trying to stop the bleeding from that, he saw a wound to the neck and torso. So now he is thinking the baby was cut out. Cut out. Doreen, only five foot tall and days away from her due date, had no chance of defending herself against Mike. Was the baby still alive? No. 
Among the many wounds she suffered, there were severe cuts to her abdomen, uterus, placenta, and umbilical cord. Her neck and her hand were all fucked. The son also had his own knife wounds. Oh my god. Charles got up to call 911, but for some reason couldn't get through, so he had to call the fire department, and he also called the neighbor for help. I don't know why this specific neighbor, but anything, I guess. When he was up, like, calling, he found that uh, Deanna was unharmed and hiding behind the sofa and didn't see any of it because she had hid like she was told to do. So she didn't actually, like, see any of this happen, but she was close by. Charles took her into the kitchen to keep her away from the scene of her mom's death and went back to try to keep Doreen alive. So he just, like, hurried her into the kitchen and went back to try to stop the bleeding. When the fire department uh, got there, they found Charles hysterical and covered in blood. Police and paramedics arrived soon after, and Charles became the number one suspect. Of course. Yeah. He was bloody and smelled of alcohol. It just looked bad. Hell, it sounds bad. He was placed under arrest and then put in the back of a police car where he became unruly as fuck. He was kicking the windows and screaming at the top of his lungs for a solid hour because they wouldn't let him go to the hospital with Doreen. So he just became violent, pretty much. Around the hour mark, police had found a wolf mask by the front door. And with it, there was a trail of blood leading about a block down the street and ended abruptly, making them believe that whoever had wore that mask and whatever had gotten into a car. So clearly they let Charles out of the car because now they have, like, this suspect. Doreen would die at the age of 31 on the way to the hospital. And their son, according to autopsy, said that he never took a breath outside of the womb. Yeah, I was wondering if his stab wounds were from her stab wounds. Right, like Like, he was cut through her. Yeah. Right. It is said that uh, Deanna said that she heard him cry, but she was also only four at the time. So autopsy shows he had never taken one breath. Police learned about Mike when, like, the problems they were having with Mike when questioned questioning neighbors to like see if they had saw anything weird happen so at 12 23 they headed to mike's for to question him upon arrival suspicions were raised immediately because even though it was clear someone was in the home mike wouldn't come to the door like they could hear like the lights were on and they could hear running water inside so they had dispatch call him and tell him to answer the door so he answered the phone? Yeah. Well, they didn't have caller ID. Oh. It's the 80s. When they told him of Doreen's murder, he remained emotionless. He did, however, seem disheveled. He answered the door in a robe and had a freshly bandaged hand that was still heavily bleeding. That doesn't look suspicious. Right. He said he had been messing around with a knife and he cut his hand open. Okay. Because, like, that's just what we do. He did allow the cops to search his home, saying he had nothing to hide. 
What they found was a loaded gun, bloody jeans, blood droplets throughout the home, on his car keys in his bedroom, on the front of the washer, in the kitchen, and bandages in the bathroom trash. It sounds like he did have something to hide. Yeah, <laughs> and he just forgot to hide it. There was blood everywhere. What Did he think they were blind? Like, oh, they're not going to see all this blood. I have no clue. <laughs> I think it might have been a situation where he was trying to call their bluff, like thinks that they're not actually going to search. Right. Like, hey, can we search your house? Or they're sure, just going to. I got nothing to hide. Oh, fuck. They're actually searching my fucking house. Or he just believed they would believe the I cut my own self and all of this is my blood thing and not. Or he shrugged and said, I don't know. Should be weird. That's his blood. Where'd it come from? I don't know. Bobby's Usually news. that makes them go away. That does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do you say? Shit be weird. They're like, shit do be weird. Have a good night. <laughs> have a good night. <laughs> Get, have fun doing what you were doing. Get home. <laughs> I mean, shit yeah, do I don't think weird. that I'd be like so willing to let them in my house. By all means, sir, please proceed. We forgot shit do be weird. <laughs> <laughs> they placed him on, under arrest and then secured the home. They actually took him to, to the fucking station, though. Upon further inspection, they had found blood leading to the garage from the driveway. So, like, their suspicions of someone running down the street with this blood. And then hopping in a car. car yeah. And then was all correct. There was blood all over his car, too. The ignition switch, radio, steering column, rubber mat under his gas pedal, and on the seats. Plus his car keys. 48 hours later, they had to release him because they didn't quite have solid evidence. Yeah, there was all this blood, but it was still, like, being DNA tested. So, like, they had to wait for that hit to come back. A second search of the home was slightly better because they had found a receipt for a machete with an 18-inch blade, which was the murder weapon, two handmade coffins one for Charles and Doreen, body bags, weights, and a map of San Francisco Bay. You know, if they find the victim's coffin in your house... Yeah, you're probably the murderer. It's, you know, that's a hard one to explain away. Did he have their names on them or something? They were their size. Like, Charles was described as a... Charles was described as a bigger man and... Doreen was only five foot, so there was like a big coffin and a smaller coffin. And I don't think it's so much circumstantial when you have the body bags, the weights, and the map for a San Francisco Bay. Like, it all checks out. And he was going to body bag them, put them in a coffin with weights, and dump them into a a river all on his own? He really felt he could do something like that? All on his own. I mean, uh, the Green River Killer carried multiple bodies down steep. But they uh, were weird in wooden boxes filled with weights. I feel like he was going to put them in the wooden boxes, then take them there, fill it with weights, and then chuck them over. Either way, that's... I get it. I'm not, I'm not saying that he could have. I'm saying that seemed like the intent. Well, if that was the intent, and he went through all of that trouble to create these coffins and shit, then why leave her body behind? He he's was, an idiot. Yeah, he's panicked. He was an yeah, idiot. He panicked. And just like probably the realization came to of what the fuck he just did, and he threw, ripped the mask off, and just took off running in a panic. 
the wolf mask that was found at the home was matched to Mike by photos of him from the Halloween before. Plus, people said that they saw him wear it, like, multiple times. There was that evidence also. Thank goodness for stupid criminals. (laughs) Definitely. November 5th, Mike was arrested again because the crime lab had matched blood from his home and the crime scene and all that jazz. At first, he denied killing Doreen entirely because you could hide that much fucking shit. Uh, His defense was, quote, saying, Defendant's counsel argues the killing... Killings resulted from mental illness and were not uh, premeditated or deliberated. So they're saying he is guilty. Yeah, but, but it's but a he's psychosis. It's a crazy. But it, how is it not premeditated when he built their coffins? So basically they were arguing that he didn't like have this planned out. Right. But if you've got the coffins... Oh, yeah, it's premeditated. Absolutely. So, they, in a nutshell, this is the mental illness they were talking about. Mm-hmm. He had attempted suicide before in his younger days. He was suffering from hearing loss, which in, like later in his life caused him to develop a stutter. So, and he also had an eating disorder. He also struggled with dating until he met Doreen, and when she left, it had just crushed him. That's why he, she was the one, is because he couldn't get another, like, partner. He was not a ladies' man. Losing Paul was even more catastrophic for him, because that was what he felt the only person that really loved him. He said he had worried about the pool since Doreen, one of Doreen's dogs, had drowned in it. Oh, so it wasn't even the first drowning in that pool? No. He had also asked and offered to pay for it to be fenced in. That's why I said maybe the fence was new. I don't know. But he, he claims that he had been Adam about putting a fence around the pool. That would be frustrating. Yeah, it would. And I mean, I can see how Paul would be, like, the most important thing in his life. Yeah. He was described as a really good dad. Like, he he wasn't described as a bad person. He was just described with mental health problems. Right. He believed that he was the only one that was actually sad at Paul's funeral. So it kind of sounds like he also is a little delusional. Yeah, but all of those things don't add up to... It being okay for you to kill someone. No. I know. Well, he, I mean, in his head, he blamed Doreen. Oh, I see that. He also said he didn't know Doreen was pregnant until he started killing her, and then he, and that he wouldn't have done it had he known, which also makes it sound premeditated. Yeah. Right. But if he knew everything that was going on in her life because he lived six blocks away then and she was at the end of her pregnancy he knew she was pregnant yeah he would have seen her yeah unless she's one of those that like hides a pregnancy well types in court they passed around a photo of zorin taken a week prior to this and it was clear she was pregnant like there was no hiding it like mumu style like yeah she's big belly yeah after three weeks 
After a three-week trial and two deliberations, Mike was charged with first-degree murder of Doreen, second-degree murder of her son, on August 16, 1988. The following September, he was sentenced to death. Oh, he was given the death penalty. Well, it was a brutal fucking murder. He, according to the article I read, as far as I know, he's still sitting in San Quentin State Prison on death row. Oh, oh he's dang. in California? Yeah. Oh, that's why they don't... Yeah, this they whole, haven't done a... This whole story happened in San Jose. They haven't done a execution in a really, really long time. They, uh, from skimming over it, he had put in a lot of appeals also. Well, they all do. Most of them, I mean, I was just listening to a podcast about the toolbox killers, and one of them was sentenced to death, and they never got the death, they never actually got the death penalty because they were in California. Yeah. And Hmm. even though they have the death penalty, they haven't actually carried one out in a very long time. Well, he sits in, in death row at San Quentin for his brutal crime. That's crazy. I mean, I can see, like, all of his heartache and sadness, but... It was definitely all done out of anger. It was definitely thought through. Yeah, it was premeditated, and it, no matter how he felt, it wasn't okay no. to do what he did. No. If he was that angry and that upset, he should have, like... Moved away. Moved away, tried to get help. Anything but kill a person. Two yeah. people. So I said two people, but it depends on your stance on that. I will say this, though. If I fully believed that someone intentionally killed one of my children, yeah, I would premeditate that shit. Yeah, I would go after them. That's what I'm saying. It, yeah, that's a that's a rough one. It's a rough one because I see I I could see that. That's what I'm saying. I could see it if it was my son. And I think what really, really got him was the fact that she was pregnant with a little boy. I think that's what finally pushed it over the edge. Was she was about to deliver her second son. Almost like in his mind, she she was was replacing replacing him. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be furious if I believed the same thing that he believed. That she did it on purpose. Yeah. Which I don't think that she did. I think it was just pure negligence. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the time period and how you raised your kids at that time. Yeah. I don't think she did it on purpose either. I mean. It's just one of those things where. It was an unfortunate turn of events. Yeah. But from his perspective, I could see why he did it. Yeah. Do I agree with it? Absolutely not. But I can see why he did it. And you can't say that it wasn't premeditated. They literally found the receipt for the machete, like, which yeah, was the murder weapon. that doesn't always count as premeditation unless he bought it days and days before. I feel like he did because, I mean, I don't have receipts for things that I bought a month ago. Well, I'm just saying, like, if he bought it that morning... It might not be considered premeditated because he could have been in just this anger state at that point. If he bought it weeks before, then yeah, that's premeditated. With the intent With of the using intent it. With the intent of yeah. using it for that purpose. I feel like it'd make it more likely to call it premeditation 
if it was days before as opposed to weeks before because then you can argue that he I, bought it for a different purpose the farther away from on the if actual he used murder it, it is. Yeah. For that different purpose before that yeah. point. Yeah, like chopping down small tree limbs or some shit. Yeah. Or he went hiking. Well, if you enjoyed today's episode, let us know. Reach out, you know, leave us comments, leave us likes, share the episode with your friends, your family, whoever. Telling people about the show is one of the best ways that you can help us. You know, if you if you want to support the show, tell people about the show. Share it. The more people who listen, the better. Does anyone have any final thoughts? Nope. Nope. All right. We'll see y'all back next week. Bye. 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 Bye.